Welcome to this uh, special podcast from the Financial Times on the subject of the financial crisis and particularly the government's new proposals for support of the banking industry. My name is Martin Wolf. I'm the chief economics commentator, and I'm joined by Chris Cook, one of our leader writers, and Christopher Adams, another of our leader writers. Let's start by looking at this quite extraordinary set of proposals. Um, Chris, could you sort of lay out what the central elements of this plan are? Of course. Well, the the first and the most heavily uh, trailed part of this plan is a £50 billion capital injection plan. The Treasury has lined up £25 billion, which is going to be paid up front into eight UK financial institutions with another £25 billion ready to go if they need it. The second part is a £250 billion guarantee on wholesale funding for these institutions so they can get cash out of the money markets. And in addition, they're going to put another £200 billion through the Bank of England's special liquidity scheme. The plan overall is to turn these widespread liquidity and solvency problems into a fiscal problem, which they think will be easier to manage and will help the financial sector recover and hopefully, hopefully, stop the spread of this um, financial crisis into a too much of a real economy crisis. It's already too late to stop it becoming a real economy crisis, clearly, but uh, we can stop it becoming a Great Depression. Now, what is this going to look like on the public accounts? It sounds fairly scary, these uh, these sums, if you add them up. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's getting close to about 30% of GDP, if you add uh, it all up, even if you ignore the Bank of England's... Uh, uh, injection. How are these are going to be accounted for and what, what is it going to look like? Well, it's all going to depend really on how the Office of National Statistics is feeling and whether they are inclined to, inclined to be generous. It also depends on how much control the Treasury wants to take of these institutions. And it's obvious that it would be absurd for the Treasury to put in up to £50 billion of capital and not take some kind of control. They have given an implicit guarantee to all these institutions and whilst these banks are in hock to the government, they're not going to have to pay out dividends, they're not going to be able to, to be very good share options for their for their shareholders. They're going to want to pay off this, this loan as quickly as possible. The temptation may be for them to roll the dice and take some extreme risks. So the Treasury clearly needs to exert serious control over these institutions to stop them doing anything silly. But if they do that, they may find that all of their gross liabilities end up on the public balance sheet, which is a simply horrifying prospect for any government. I mean, forget 40% of GDP. This is beyond 450% of GDP. Yeah. We could break 500% of GDP if, they, if the ONS was feeling particularly stringent and the government were to take serious control of these institutions. One would assume that there are some assets <laughs> that come with them. And yes, one assumes that they are actually worth something. In fact, we hope they're worth more than their liabilities. Yeah, but you only get to put liquid assets on the balance sheet of the public accounts. Illiquid assets don't count at all. So it's a stupid rule. It's one of the absurdities of the government finances that you're not allowed. So a mortgage would not be a liquid asset from this point of view? No. So the implication is that the numbers might look horrible, and that raises a pretty profound question. Will the markets care? Or will they be able to see pretty clearly that nothing fundamental has changed because these institutions, presumably, as banks operating what we assume will be a viable economy, will, over time, continue as banks always have done to make some profits and will therefore be allowed or able to repay the government any money they get? Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? The um, reaction of the markets to Fannie and Freddie's nationalisation on 
both on bonds and on corporate paper from the, These are the two mortgage giants in the United States, yes, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, in principle, between the, nothing changed from the government giving Fannie and Freddie an implicit guarantee to their being nationalised. There was, however, quite a lot of noise in the market about what exactly was happening. In truth, nothing really changed. The guarantees that always existed were simply made formal. Nothing happened to U.S. government bond rates, as far as I can see, to indicate that there was only profound concern about this shift. Exactly. But there, well, there was some noise. Though. There, were, there were people to get skittish. There did seem to be some reaction to it. In general, I suppose, the evidence we've had in, recently has been that this is a general worldwide flight to safety. Yes. And uh, safest assets are the liabilities of AAA-rated governments. And one would assume that a serious attempt to deal with a crisis of this kind by using the government balance sheets to underpin the bank's balance sheets is quite likely to work. Christopher, what about the politics of all this? It's an absolutely astonishing, to my mind, unprecedented intervention by the government in uh, perhaps the most important single industry, the one on which uh, the economy ultimately depends. It is a sort of partial nationalization. It will imply substantial control over the institutions they're helping, and that's essentially all the institutions. They apparently are insisting that the banks will lend to small business and and to homeowners. They make that rather explicit. So this is real socialism red and tooth and claw. <laughs> well, I think, uh, I think, or isn't I think it? you've hit on it precisely the word there. It's an extraordinary moment, and I think we were saying just before, you know, we sat down... Normal politics has has been suspended as we know it. You've got to sort of, to understand this, you can't think of things in terms of left and right in the the way we have done until now. Both main political parties in Britain, Labour and the Conservatives, back this. It is an extraordinary moment. And, you know, we've had Gordon Brown, uh, we're using the nationalisation word, he hasn't yet, but then he has has part nationalised, you know, essentially he's part nationalising most of the main clearing banks in Britain. He, he really struggled with this concept over Northern Rock a year ago, and they've, they've done it virtually overnight now, and the Conservatives are backing it too. I think there are two important questions that arise from this. One is, and this is probably the most important one, that whoever wins the next election, probably in 2010, is going to be saddled with a giant public sector deficit. And how they deal with that is, is going to be interesting to watch. It's almost an election you would you, you would quite want to lose, I think, really, rather than have to uh, possibly either raise taxes or, or cut spending dramatically, which, if they don't make money on this, is what they'll have to do. And the second point is the issue of bonuses and executive pay. And um, We saw at Prime Minister's questions today, Gordon Brown coming under questioning from his own MPs. You know, are you going to, to sort of clamp down on executive pay? Are you going to stop big bank bosses getting paid big bonuses? Um, to put that whole thing right. And he was quite circumspect. I mean, he used the words, you know, we will ensure excessive risk-taking is not rewarded but punished. But he didn't say what they would do. And I think that unless they take control of the banks, they can't actually set pay policy. And they don't want to take control of the banks because, as we just said, if they do that, they're going to end up with hundreds of billions of pounds on the public sector balance sheet, a place they don't want to be. I suppose my experience um, would suggest that a government with a financial hole, the scale that it might have, might be tempted towards inflation. Uh, This seems to be the easy way of getting out of this. On the other hand, that might actually mean changing the mandate for the Bank of England. I think it's pretty clear that as long as Mervyn King is governor, and he will be there for some time, they're going to be very reluctant to allow inflation. Yet they did agree to this big cut now. Uh, Should we fear that inflation is going to be the ultimate outcome of all this? I think at the moment, I mean, you know, I'm not governor of the Bank of England, but, you know, if I was, and I think he's done the right thing, I I think at the very least... 
the half percentage point cut is what is warranted today. I mean, having spoken to a few economists uh, this, this morning, the sense I'm getting is that this is there's going to be quite a lot more interest rate cuts to come if they're going to have any hope of, 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 of drawing this crisis back. Um, I think the the risks. Uh, in terms of meeting the inflation target, and I don't think they should they should abandon the Bank of England's inflation targeting remit. Um, I think in terms of meeting that, the risks are clearly to the downside there. You know, it, it, we're now seeing a real economy slowdown mm. that could turn into a recession, and you know the risk to demand there you know, of, of, of undershooting inflation target clearly so much greater than anything we had from oil and commodities, which was sort of holding the bank's hand on that. I'm sure that's right. Now let's look at this. Uh, in the global context, because, first of all, it's clear um, uh, with this one great leap, uh, the UK is in the lead in dealing with the crisis. And we've, we've thrown more um, uh, uh, resources at it. Uh, if you add these various schemes together, though you can't really do so because some of them are just liquidity provision, but if you add them all together, they're much bigger in, mm. I mean, they're much, yeah. much bigger than the than the so-called TARP, yeah. the Troubled Assets Reconstruction Program, or whatever it's called in mm. the United States. So this is an enormous project uh, program. After all, remember, the U.S. economy is at least six times bigger than ours, six or seven times bigger than ours. Um, no one in Europe has, has pl- proposed something like that. And there's also now been this concerted half a percentage point cut among central banks. Do you, do we think that uh, the you? I mean, it seems pretty clear that the UK, having taken these dramatic steps with this shared um, uh, decision on interest rates, should would we expect now from the meeting of the G7 in Washington, uh, the, the group of seven um, finance ministers and central bank governors? in Washington and the IMF and the World Bank, that further really dramatic um, things might happen? What do you think, Chris? Well, I mean, the the problem of the crisis is, is manifesting itself in different ways. There's no one big scheme which will fit every country. Uh, the U.S. has decided to start buying up all these toxic assets, um, and that's actually a bailout for the rest of the world to some degree. Uh, the problem of mortgage-backed securities, um, these opaque... Uh, unpriceable assets um, is really rooted in the U.S. housing market, and the U.S. scheme should actually is really a bailout for the rest of us. Thankfully, um, the um, that's one extreme, just buying up assets, yeah. and the U.K. has gone for another extreme, which is to uh, recapitalise its banks. Um, there will be countries who are in the middle of this who have a more serious problem with toxic opaque assets than the UK and undercapitalized banks they, they there is no one scheme which could fit all of these um, all of these plans in fact the the US does appear to be trying to use the authorization for that 700 billion dollars uh, that it's putting through the tarp to um, more sort of schemes that are closer to a recapitalization uh, the um, but what we'll get from the G7, I mean, I, I expect we'll get a, a statement of coordinating principles, um, but I don't think it would be helpful for everyone to, to, to agree on one scheme or one plan. They all need to do what's right for their own banking sectors. But we would have to agree, wouldn't we, that, uh, that not much has happened in continental Europe. Uh, while um, it's clear that a number of continental European banks are very exposed, first of all, to the American problems, and in fact, some of the biggest exposures turn out to have been uh, there, there have been some well-known 
banking uh, problems, uh, for, for example, Fortis Bank, uh, mm -hmm. the joint uh, Benelux Bank, um, is, a, is a very good example. Unicredito in Italy has been required to, or has felt it necessary, to, to raise capital. Um, and now we do see the ECB even is cutting rates. Uh, but surely we would expect, and it is necessary since this is a common problem, the confidence crisis is global, mm -hmm. we're all affected by the lack of confidence everywhere else. Ultimately, the global financial system is global. In this situation, isn't it pretty important that European governments uh, actually do recapitalize their banks to a point at which everybody again feels comfortable in lending to all the world's major banks. It's not clear they're going to do that. And that not that rather disturbing? What do you think, Chris? Well, I think what's disturbed me, uh, one of the things that disturbed me most of all this week is, is you know, if, if you think about what we're seeing, what we're seeing is not a run on any one individual bank, but essentially a run on the whole global system. banking system. Yeah. And it comes down to confidence. And the thing I've been feeling least confident about this week is the reaction of the European governments. Um, we saw the European uh, heads of state meet at the weekend. They said, right, you know, we're, we're going to come up with a common approach, a common course of action. And then what did they do a day later? They came out with all sorts of different statements about some were going to protect all depositors with all banks, some weren't going to do that. Um, I think that sort of inconsistency is a real danger. And I think particularly on, you know, say the issue of deposit guarantees, for example, where... Uh, Ireland rushed in to sort of say, we'll guarantee all depositors. Germany appeared to say that, but then retracted. Yes. Um, then, you know, by then, Denmark had jumped the gun. That leads to potentially real problems in, in other countries where banks haven't got those level of guarantees. They, they, they could see much worse runs on them. So I think um, at a G7 level, certainly, yes, some basic sets of principles have to be clearly defined and there has to be clear leadership. Um, and without that... I don't think they're going to really mend you know, the, 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 the damaged confidence that we're seeing. At the very least, one would hope, it seems to me, that they would come out with a, a shared agreement on the recapitalization of banks to a sort of common minimum, minimum level, mm -hmm. which would have to be adequate to, uh, to uh, gain some confidence. And it seems to me there now has to be pretty fair agreement on the scale of central bank liquidity provision, because to some extent they're substitutes for one another. Uh, it's actually quite interesting to note that the Bank of England is also offering dollars, in uh, not just uh, yeah. not just sterling. But it does seem to me that we we, we do need an agreement on uh, li liquidity provision. The guarantee issue is obviously very difficult. I'm very intrigued, and it's actually slightly different from what I'd expected that they are proposing to guarantee new. Uh, lending, um, leaving the the old lending sort of standing, the old <laughs> with the the old um, stuff sort of standing there. This is actually quite an interesting approach, and it sort of constrains the guarantees in rather an interesting way. And I suspect maybe that's uh, the way to go. But I do hope that they come out of this meeting, which is sort of providential in its timing, with a plan that will restore some measure of confidence because the crisis still has a long way to go and it will help a great deal if people believe governments are at last in control. We'll leave the discussion there for today. I'm sure we'll be coming back to this because it's not over. Thanks, uh, Christopher and Chris. I hope you enjoy the podcast.